to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Well, I was reading the other day that one of the most climbed mountains in the Western Hemisphere is Oregon's Mount Hood Mountain. And on May 12, 1986, 13 high school students from the local Anglican church set out to climb this magnificent peak. It was kind of like an annual rite of passage for teenagers. Now, traditionally what they did was they met at 2 a.m. in the morning and climbed the peak and then returned to the sun, or got there in time for the sunset in the morning. So you can imagine that I I used to direct a camp, we used to do this kind of thing. It's great fun, it's beautiful. Uh, They had little sleep, and there wasn't actually a lot of preparation the night before. Uh, They were wearing, unfortunately, casual dresses and light shoes and really not any special climbing gear and not really any coats. And unfortunately, as they walked along, there was a sudden change in the weather. And they became trapped in a snowstorm. Four days later, help arrived. And very sadly, nine of these students died in that snowstorm. Now you can imagine the responses of people. And we need to stop this. We can't let this happen again. And so all kinds of responses were made. People were cared for. And technology was put in. Initially, it was two-way radios. Uh, You take a two-way radio when you go up, so if there's a problem, you can let us know. Fast forward to 2009. Three well-trained, well-equipped climbers also lost their lives on this mountain. The basic reason they lost their lives was because the weather changed again but they refused to take any technology with them. They were self-reliant. They said, well, well, we know what we're doing. We've climbed mountains before. This is easy. We've got all the gear. We're experienced. We can climb this mountain. And so they didn't take any of the equipment that they needed in case of an emergency. Now, while the downfall of the first group of people was the fact that they were just naive... The second group of people had lots of experience, but they still, because of their pride, were subject to what took place on that mountain. Now, in many ways, this is a bit like life, isn't it? Life is kind of like an exciting journey. You're kind of on the march, you're taking twists and turns. Uh, It's a bit like climbing a mountain. Uh, Sometimes you feel really prepared for it. And then other times you completely feel really naive and like, wow, I didn't see that coming and I'm not really prepared for that. And life does take a lot of twists and turns. Despite its excitement and its adventure, there are so many twists and turns. And so how do we navigate life? How do we get prepared to to deal with life, whatever it throws at us? Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs has been telling us that the way to navigate the journey of life, the way to navigate this mountain, is with wisdom. 
to seek to discover God's order in life and then to try and fit into that order, to acknowledge that God understands this universe, to live life with the grain of the universe. That's the title of our series. And what we've discovered is that Proverbs insists that at the centre of this, to live life with the grain of the universe, is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs promises us that if we fear the Lord, if we follow his instructions, we will develop certain wise characteristics and virtues that will enable us to navigate this world, to help us deal with the twists and turns that come about. And so Proverbs wants us to cultivate these characteristics, these virtues in our lives. It wants to see them develop and grow. And so this morning what I want to do is look, about, look at thinking about what helps us do that and then secondly look at three of these virtues in particular or these characteristics in particular. We, there, there are many characteristics we could look at and in some ways I feel like we're just dipping our toe in. But we're going to look at what helps nurture those characteristics in our lives and then secondly uh, some of the characteristics that will help us navigate life together. Well the first thing is uh, to say about developing these characteristics, developing wisdom, is that it requires strenuous effort. Like a mountain, it requires strenuous effort. See in Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. My son, if you accept my words and store my commands with you, so first of all accepting God's words, storing them with you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying to your heart, understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry out for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do you hear all the effort there? Accepting, storing, turning, applying, crying out, looking, searching. There's a lot of effort here. Kind of reminds me of those opal miners in Cooperpedi, you know, with their rugged hands and their long beards and their dusty clothes and their sweaty faces. They're mining, mining, mining for opal. They're dedicated to do it and they want this treasure. And it takes a significant amount of effort to find this treasure. And Proverbs reminds us that actually it does take strenuous effort to mine for wisdom. We will need to apply ourselves to it. We're not born with wisdom. We can't, on the spur of a moment, decide to be wise. It's a process. It's, it takes time. It's training. It's development. It's not something you can suddenly decide, OK, I'm going to be strong in character now. I've decided that for myself. Now, of course, that makes it a little bit challenging for us because we're in a, very much in a culture at the moment that likes instantaneous actions and expects instantaneous results. We like that if we have to wait too long for our internet connections on our iPhones 
We wonder what's wrong. Why aren't we getting good enough service? Or if we have to queue too long for our coffees in Newtown. Queuing in Newtown, terrible. We kind of want things immediately and instantaneously. Why isn't it happening? Well, if we're feeling like that, we won't be after wisdom. Because the reality is wisdom takes genuine effort and takes time. Takes years and years and years. But Proverbs 2 also tells us there's a twist to this. In verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is the shield of those whose life is blameless. While digging for wisdom is strenuous and difficult, what's surprising in the Bible is that it's also a gift. James 1 puts it this way, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask from God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wisdom is something we work for, but it's actually also a gift. Now, a Christian understands this because of what Jesus has done. In his death, as we've been reminded over the previous weeks, Jesus suffered death because of our folly, of our foolishness. He dies the death of a fool so that we might be spared the death of the fool. But even more than that, his resurrection means that we have been opened up to the new possibility of wisdom. He wants to give us wisdom. He wants to give us the freedom to learn and to hear wisdom's call, to be forgiven for all the ways that we've been foolish. And we're reminded it's actually by his spirit that we are enabled to have wisdom, to develop characteristics and virtues which are consistent with being God's child. Uh, You might have heard from that passage that we read in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Spirit's work, is joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And so on one hand, while we're working for this, it's also a gift that only works because the Spirit is actually at work within our lives. And so therefore we need to receive it as a gift. Now, I want to come back to thinking about how that might evolve a little bit further, but there's something else I wanted to say about this idea of developing or cultivating um, wisdom within our own lives. Yes, it's a gift. Yes, it requires strenuous effort, but it's also given to us over and over again in the Bible in the context of relationships. If you look uh, at Proverbs Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, this is quite a radical moment, actually. Aristotle, who believed in virtues and people developing virtues, believed you could not learn this off slaves, children or women. Only men you could learn this off. The Bible doesn't say that. It says you can learn it off men and women. And you are to listen to your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. It's relational. It's not only relational in that sense, it's relational in terms of friends. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. 
wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. There's a desire here for wisdom to develop in the context of relationship with others, with family, with friends. And can I say, if you are a person who is looking after a family, actually one of your most important jobs is to make sure that the people who are in your care are developing wisdom, an understanding of what it means to fear the Lord, an understanding of what it means to follow him and to serve him. Now, of course, the New Testament speaks about a different kind of family. It speaks about our church family. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we read these words, that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There is this father, father-son connection, mother-son connection, family connection. There is this friend's connection. But we also see that wisdom is developed and nourished and cultivated in the life of a community, in the life of people meeting together. Now, to be honest with you, meeting here once on a Sunday morning for an hour or two, an hour and a half perhaps, every week, won't do it. Uh, It's a good thing to do. Please, let me, you know, keep coming, of course. But actually, it doesn't cultivate much. It's a point. It's an important point. But actually, if you want to cultivate wisdom in your life, it's going to take multiple tries, multiple relationships, multiple times. And so the reason people like me bang on about small groups or meeting together one-to-one, is because it makes a huge difference to someone's growth in wisdom. That's not saying anything if you can't make it. I completely understand that. If you can't make a small group, sometimes life is complicated. But certainly meeting up with another person one-to-one, most of us can fit that in our week. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to grow in biblical wisdom, in biblical understanding, it's going to take relationships and it's going to take meeting with other Christians who can say things to you like, I want to admonish you. Now, you don't admonish people unless you're in a relationship with them. You want to admonish them, so therefore you need to be in relationship with them and encourage one another to grow in this character, in wisdom, and to to have the characteristics of someone who is wise. I want to also say, I think, and this is just my opinion at this point, most of us will have lives as adults, majority of us, for at least 40 years. A lot of those 40 years will be spent in some kind of work, whether it's in the home or outside the home or somewhere. I want to encourage you to think, actually, what would happen if I just took one of those years, one of those 40 years, not even 10% of those 40 years, and spent some time studying richly and deeply God's word? doesn't matter what stage of life you're at, and I realise it, it would involve sacrifice. But remember, 
This is digging for gold. This is digging for opals. It's strenuous, hard work. Now, Rod and Ronell are not here today. But if they were, I'd still say this. Rod and Ronell are a tremendous gift to any congregation that they belong to. As, as is many other people, can I say. But one of the reasons that they're so precious to a congregation is because Rod took time, Rod and Ronell both took time, a year off to spend some time studying and thinking about God's word. The reason Rod is such a good preacher is because he spent time studying God's word like that. Now, he has a busy life like the rest of us. He's an engineer. He's got lots of things to do. Unfortunately, probably they will move on in the coming year. But they will be a great blessing wherever they go. Now, I'm not saying you have to do this. This is just me talking, okay? I don't want you to feel guilty if you haven't done it. It's not everybody's position. It's not possible for everybody else. But what I am saying is... This is like mining for opals. It's important. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. And the reason I'm talking about a year's study is because very often the courses that we have around here, particularly the one at Moore College, for example, although it could be another college, is done in the life of community. You're meeting with other Christians. You're rubbing up against other Christians who are helping you think through what it means to be a Christian. Now, there's my little challenge. There's my little point here. If you can't do it, I completely get it. Find other ways to do it. Do PTC, Preliminary Theological Certificate. Come and join us at Gotham, where we're richly studying God's word there, uh, which is about faith and work. There are other ways you can do that. Plan it for the future. But whatever the case is, belong to a community that will help you grow in wisdom. And cultivate it. Be strenuous about it. Okay, that's how we can cultivate things. That's how we can help things along. Uh, By God's spirit, in his power, we can continue to grow in love uh, for one another, but also grow in this idea of wisdom. What are three characteristics that uh, Proverbs talks about? It talks about many different things, and I'm just going to talk about three of them, as I mentioned uh, um, earlier. I want to talk about dependability, prudence, and being just. Now, I've found two books particularly helpful in this. There's one called Preaching Character, uh, which is a really interesting insight into thinking about character, and another book which is like a Bible study group called uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and James. Both of them have been really helpful in, in preparing this, and some of my preparations reflect that today. Let's think about uh, dependability. Proverbs speaks in many places of qualities like honesty, integrity, Loyalty, truthfulness, trustworthiness. And I guess you can sum up all those things by calling them dependability. A dependable person can be counted on. Counted on to do what they said they were going to do or what they're supposed to do. And they can be counted on to do it at the right time, with the right kind of timing. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25 verse 13 says this, Like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time, is a trustworthy messenger to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit of a master. Or alternatively, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 6. Sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. (laughs) 
Um, the point here, of course, is that messages need to be messengers need to be reliable. In ancient Israel, of course, they didn't have any t- telephones or internet. There wasn't a re- regular postal delivery service. Uh, there was no way of communicating. You actually relied on messages, and families had to send messengers off to different places. And so they had to carry important information from family to family or from uh, government to government. And much depended on how reliable the messenger was. And so that's why Proverbs uses that image. A messenger is really important. Like a snow cool drink at harvest time, that's at the time of heat, is a trustworthy messenger. They're like a refreshing cool drink on a hot day. Because they've done the right thing. They're dependable. They delivered the message. They've done the right thing. Now, I think we need to be dependable people. The Bible calls us to be wise and to be dependable, to develop the characteristic of being dependable. And sometimes that might mean saying no to things. At least that's my experience anyway. I like saying yes to things. Roger fits the other day to admit something here. Roger Fitz the other day said to me, would you ring so-and-so before Sunday um, because I'd like you to talk to them? I said, yes, I'll do that. Well, I didn't. And so on the Monday, I had to come to him and say, Rog, I, I'm sorry, I, I, you asked me to ring someone. I said I was going to ring them and I didn't ring them. Now, as I thought about it, I thought, it wasn't because I didn't like ringing the person. I was very happy to ring the person. In fact, it would have been a pleasant conversation. But I hadn't said enough no's. I hadn't said maybe no in the first place. No, Rog, I can't fit this in before the weekend. Can I do it next week? I hadn't said no to other things in my schedule on, on the days that followed that would give me the time. I, I needed to say no somewhere in order that I would be dependable. And I think we need to be dependable kind of people to work out when we can say yes or no. I just want Roger to like me, so I said yes. I think he's a nice guy. But I probably should have said no. Be dependable people. Now, this dependable kind of thing is also related to our friendships. Be someone your friends can count on. That's the, another context that uh, Proverbs gives in terms of accountability. Proverbs chapter 18. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or, in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt service. You see this great love of friendship in Proverbs, a beautiful thing. Are you that kind of friend that people can depend on, that keeps your word as you speak with them? Can a friend say those things about you? That you're a pleasant person, that you love their heart, that they love your heartfelt advice. Of course, being a friend also means, or being in relationships with other people, And being dependable means that we need to be honest and tell the truth. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Proverbs 12, 22. 
When a person desires, when a person's desires is unfailing love, better be poor than a liar. Proverbs continues to ask us to be people who are reliable, who are dependable, because we tell the truth in what we say and what we do. And so a feature of Proverbs, a thing that it's trying to cultivate within us, a characteristic that we are called to work on, that is also a gift, is that to be someone who can be trusted and dependable with tasks, someone who a friend can count on, and someone who makes it their aim to tell the truth always. The question is, are you cultivating those things within your life? Can you come home at the end of the day, as Celia was saying before, and say, actually, I've been working on that today. I've been working on being dependable in my workplace. I've been working on being dependable with my spouse or with my friend. I've been working on that today because it's going to take some cultivation. It's going to take some time. Another characteristic that we can think of in terms of wisdom with, throughout Proverbs is the idea of prudence. Now, prudence doesn't mean be, being hesitant to make decisive steps or even to avoid risks. Someone who avoids risks or actually fails to make decisive steps is a bit like a sluggard. We've spoken about them before and and Proverbs keeps talking about sluggards all the time. Rather, I think prudence is about foresight, about looking before you leap, about seeing the world in the light of the fear of the Lord. I love this one from Proverbs chapter 26. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel not their own. You've just got the picture there, a stray dog pulling its ears. You're, just, you're bound to get into trouble. It's prudent to stay out of it. Now, the Proverbs tells us that the prudent person examines the situation carefully, considering all the intangibles before committing themselves to a particular course of action. The wisdom of the prudent is to give their thought to their ways, but the, fool, but, but the folly of fools is deception. The person who's wise and who's prudent knows that they, have, they need to recognise the fear of God and knows that God is sovereign over the whole world. They know, however, that many a situation is out of their control. So they need to be thoughtful about exposing themselves to any unnecessary risks. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty, Proverbs chapter 27 verse 12 tells us. Prudence is the opposite to haste. It's taking the time to plan, to to verify the facts, to, to think things through. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? It's the opposite to the presumption, whatever comes up, I know I can handle it. It's thoughtful. Just this week, I bumped into a guy in the cemetery and uh, I said, oh, how's your day? And he said, oh, I'm a bit stressed. I said, oh, okay, well, what's happening? He said, well, look, I'm in charge of bridge climbing. I uh, help people climb the bridge, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And today I've got a VIP coming. 
said, oh, wow, okay, tell me more. Wouldn't tell me the name, of course, but VIP, I've got to take them up the bridge. I said, so how long have you been doing it? I've been doing this for many, many years. I said, surely you, that won't be a problem. Well, no, I need to think about this person, how best to address them and, and what best to do, how to make them feel comfortable. And I thought, wow, that, that's impressive. This guy is being prudent. He's done this thousands of times. He knows what it's like to go up the bridge. He's probably seen everything you can see going up the bridge. But this particular case was new. This particular person was new. This particular situation was different. And so, therefore, he was being prudent. He was being thoughtful. He was thinking through the implications of what was going to happen. I was able to share with him that we were studying Proverbs and this is the kind of thing it was talking about. It was a great conversation. Prudence is important. Now, of course, uh, the place that um, Proverbs talks about prudence in particular is in terms of friendships, and particularly the people we hang around with. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Um, One way you could translate that is to say... um, A righteous person or a person who's fearing the Lord is cautious in friendship. Uh, Prudent people recognise that their friendships will shape their lives, will shape their hearts. And they carefully consider the kind of people they will bring close. Who will they let influence them? So, for example, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24, we read, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Now you might be thinking, oh, hang on, how's that possible? I work with a whole bunch of people like this and surely Jesus associated himself with hot-tempered people, with tax collectors and sinners. Surely Jesus was in amongst these people and built friendships with all kinds of people. I think the point that Proverbs is making is actually be thoughtful. If you're going to make friends with people who are perhaps not from acting in ways that are wise, make sure that you spend a lot of time with people who are wise. Be in the world, not of the world, as John 17 reminds us. And that's why I think we as Christians need strong, secure bases in community life together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, building one another up, challenging one another, helping each other become wise... Because we will come across situations where we want to develop relationships with people, but we need to be wise about the way we go about those things. We need to be prudent as a community of believers in the way that we engage those who are not following Jesus. Final thing I just want to say about prudence very quickly, and then we've got one more thing to go. I know it's a bit longer today, but I wanted to cover three areas. We need to also be prudent about the way we do look after our finances. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27 says, Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Make sure you've got enough to pay off the loan, to pay off the mortgage. Don't get yourself in over debt, in over your head. That's not a good thing. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give it careful attention to your herds. Just be, be realistic about what's happening. Observe what's happening with your finances and the way that your work's working out. Don't be greedy. Don't try and get more. Don't try and overstretch yourself. 
Be prudent. Look at the next step. Look at the way it's going to affect you. Look at the way it's going to affect your children's lives or the lives of those around you. Be prudent. Be thoughtful about those things. Now, I think this is a particularly difficult challenge for us in a consumer society. I was reading a quote the other day that said that our society is a a consumerist society and as a result, we're not attached to things. We're actually detached from things. We don't tend to hoard things anymore. We don't tend to cling things to things. We just discard things and buy new things. We like to get something new and discard the old thing. Now, sometimes that's important to do. Uh, we've got a lounge sitting in our lounge room at the moment that we found on the side of a road um, that, that's in our house. Uh, the springs have all gone. Uh, it wasn't a very good lounge in the first place. It's probably prudent to throw it out and get another one. But there are plenty of other times where that's not the case. Well, we don't need to replace things. They're, they're as good as they are. That's fine. That's a good thing. Let's be prudent with our finances. Prudent with our relationships and prudent with our finances. Okay, one last thing very quickly and then we'll conclude. So far as we've looked through Proverbs, uh, we've been thinking about things that encourage us to build, uh, looking at virtues that encourage us to build certain things into our lives in terms of the way we relate to others and relate to this world. But the truth is, our world is a very, very messy place. And not everything works out equally for everybody. It's full of, Proverbs notes that it's full of people who are trying to undermine others, who oppress or exploit others, or who deprive other people of the fruit of their labours. So in Proverbs 30, 14 we read, those with teeth, those, those whose teeth are swords and jaws are set with knives devour the poor from the earth and the needy from amongst the human race. The unploughed field produces food for the poor, but the unjust sweep it away. Proverbs emphasises the needs and the plights of the poor, and it emphasises that God is on the side of justice, on the side of the poor, not on the side of injustice. He wants to defend the poor. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. Do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact a life for a life. You'll be kept accountable for the way that you treat the poor. And so therefore, because this is a characteristic of who God is, he says to us in Proverbs 29 verse 7, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs encourages us to develop wisdom and to care about those who are poor. It stresses, for example, that we need to be generous. It is sin to despise one neighbour, but the one who is blessed is is kind to the needy. Whoever opposes the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. You actually might notice that's on the sign out the front here. Andrew Warrington put that there as a way of having a bit of a dig about asylum seekers saying to this community, actually, we care about this. Being generous to the needy is part of dealing with the injustice that takes place to the poor. And so today we heard about the tear fund, important thing to support this Christmas time. 
Uh, you might notice I have a little um, white ribbon on. I've signed up with the white ribbon people. They're, they're males against violence to women. It's important to stand up and say, actually, I'm counted amongst that. I don't want that to happen. I'm prepared to do something about that. Each of you will have different things that you can do. But we are called to be on the side of the needy by being generous and supportive of them. Uh, Proverbs reminds us that we need to be on the side of needy in the other ways. The Lord detests honest scales, but accurate weights find their favour in him. It's important that we make sure that transactions financially and otherwise take place in an honest and trustworthy way. People curse those who hoard grain, but pray God's blessing on those who are willing to sell. The hoarding of grain, of course, puts up the prices of grain and means the poor can't have grain. And so Proverbs is actually addressing economics not just at the individual level, but at our society's level as well. We need to be a fair society, a society that cares for the poor. It also addresses it at a governmental level, if you like. By justice, a king gives a country stability, but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. For if a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established with us forever. It's important that governments show care for the poor, and we support them in doing that. Uh, It's interesting this week just to read about the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. Um, He's taken some unprecedented moves in uh, England to challenge people who um, have organisations which offer payday loans. You know, the kind of loans where people go and they get a loan on their payday and are charged exorbitant interest. So, for example, someone borrowing £200 for a month is then charged £270 to pay it back. Uh, it's, It's just terrible. It's particularly aimed at those who are poor and needy. Well, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has started approaching that and dealing with that, and dealing with that actually at a governmental level, and apparently with some success. I think we as Christians need to be like that, need to be seeking ways in which we see justice is done for those who are needy and poor, both in our generosity, in our ordinary lives, in the way we go about things, but also in the way we speak to others and in the way we support certain things within our society as well. Well, we've covered a lot of ground this morning. We're thinking about developing wisdom. We're thinking about becoming wise people. How do we navigate this path of wisdom? How do we go up this mountain? How do we deal with the twists and turns and the unexpected things? Well, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we accept the gift of wisdom and we strenuously develop virtues and characteristics which reflect the fear of the Lord. We become dependable people. We become prudent people. We become people who are just in our treatment of others. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the way that it challenges us. We ask that as you continue to challenge us with your word, help us to be shaped by it and respond to it in a way that brings your name glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. 
For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.